Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in this self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Well, greetings to all of you and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Unstoppable, on the story, the incredible story of the growth of Christianity in the early days as recorded in the book of Acts. I'm recording this sitting at a little desk that I have in my bedroom. I can look out and really I don't see a whole lot. I've got shrubbery in order to shield uh, my window and give me some privacy, but just To the left, I can see the beautiful dogwood tree blooming. And this is springtime here in Nashville. I've got a little garden behind uh, the house near my office door. It's mainly ornamentals and some blooming shrubs and things like that. I have some irises I planted this year uh, that have just started blooming. And it's just a lovely time. I'm glad to be able to sit here and talk to you and to talk to you about the book of Acts and the incredible lessons that are found in it. And sometimes the lessons that we find are a little bit below the surface. Today I want to talk about the subject, when you feel let down, because it's pretty hard when you feel that somebody has let you down. I know that feeling. Um, You think that you're on the same page with someone and then they disappoint you. Uh, Maybe you've poured your life into them or you have a close friendship with them and then they just let you down. And that's the situation that we see in the book of Acts chapter 13. What do you do when you feel misled or disappointed or betrayed even by somebody else? Well, we're coming to this incident that occurred during Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. And if you can get to a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. It's just one little verse here, and it leaves us with a lot more questions than it does answers, but I want to discuss it. So the book of Acts 13, 13, it says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So here's the story that we're picking up from last week. At the beginning of Acts chapter 13, the church located up in Syrian Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas. Well, Barnabas had a cousin named John Mark. John was his Jewish name and Mark was his Greek name. And I think that we've seen this young man before, even before he is introduced to us in the book of Acts here, because there is a very interesting glimpse in a book that he later wrote, the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 14 and verses 50 and 51. 
this young man, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who went with Paul and Barnabas as their assistant on this first missionary journey, later wrote the Gospel of Mark. And he described something that occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. It says in Mark chapter 14, verses 50 and 51, Then everyone deserted Jesus and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked and left his garment behind. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this little detail in his account of the story of Gethsemane. Neither does Luke or John. Only Mark tells this story. Well, why does Mark give this odd little detail? Well, turn now to the book of Acts in chapter 12. This is the story where Peter escapes from prison when Herod is wanting to assassinate him or to execute him. Uh, the angel comes and helps Peter, and Peter gets out of prison. And look at verse 12 of Acts chapter 12. Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So now we have to use our imagination and put some of this together. Apparently, Mark's family had some money, and his mother had a very large house, I think in an exclusive residential section of Jerusalem, I think just west of the temple complex, and her house was capable of holding a large crowd. So we know the early church would meet there. Now, many people believe this was also the site of the Last Supper. So if it was the site of the Last Supper, then we can imagine the scenario. John Mark, maybe a teenager, came home. Maybe he had worked all day, had some kind of job. He went to his bedroom, took off his clothes, and went to bed. And suddenly, he heard a commotion as Jesus and the disciples abruptly left the upper room, as we know that they did in order to get away from there before Judas came back with the Roman soldiers. And he started down the staircase. Well, uh, John Mark lay there for a moment, then being full of curiosity, he got up, draped his robe or sheet around him, and followed the party through the deserted streets of Jerusalem. The alternative probability is that John Mark was nearly asleep when the Roman soldiers burst into his house looking for Jesus. And John was so curious about this, John Mark was, that he got up and draped his um, robe around him or a sheet around him, and he followed this party through the deserted streets of Jerusalem. And he followed them across the Kidron Valley, and he was there in the shadows when Jesus was arrested. Whether he was following Jesus and the disciples or following the subsequent uh, Roman contingent that was looking for Jesus, in any event, this was his way and his gospel of telling us that he was an eyewitness on that eventful night that he saw Jesus arrested and he barely escaped with his life. Well, later, maybe shortly later, the apostle Peter led this young man to faith in Christ. We pick up that clue in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13 when Peter calls him my son Mark. That is 1 Peter 5.13. And Peter refers to him as my son Mark, indicating that there in Jerusalem, Peter led this young man who had 
followed these Roman soldiers and seen Jesus arrested, the son of the wealthy lady in Jerusalem that had the house where probably the Last Supper occurred, Peter led him to Christ. We also know from very good and early Christian traditions that later in life, Mark wrote his gospel based on the recollections of Simon Peter for whom he became a translator. Well, there are two other details. I'm giving you a lot of facts, but we're trying to connect the dots. We know from Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10 that Mark and Barnabas, the Christian who was from Cyprus and became a very encouraging figure in the early church, that they were cousins. So keep all of these things in mind. John Mark was a young man whose mother owned a large house in Jerusalem, which was big enough for church gatherings and may well have been the location of the upper room. Mark himself had apparently been home during the Last Supper and had followed either Jesus or the Romans secretly to the Garden of Gethsemane and was there when Jesus was arrested and barely escaped. Later, Mark led this young man to Christ and Barnabas took him under his wing. Well, Barnabas also took Saul of Tarsus under his wing and mentored both men. And eventually, the three of them were commissioned by the church to go to Barnabas's home island of Cyprus to evangelize it at the beginning of Acts chapter 13. These three went from one end of the island to the other. Saul and Barnabas were the primary evangelist, and John Mark went along to be their assistant. And the story climaxes as we saw earlier, with the conversion of the Gentile governor of the island, Sergius Paulus, whose family we know from archaeological sources also owned property in the mountains of southern Turkey. So after Sergius Paulus was converted, instead of returning to Antioch at the end of their work on the island, Paul decided to sail northward to the southern coast of Turkey and take the rough interior roads to the high elevations of Galatia, where there were several cities, including Syrian Antioch, which was the home area of this governor, Sergius Paulus. Uh, Sergius Paulus. But when they docked in Turkey, that's when John Mark deserted them and returned to Jerusalem. So look again at Acts 13.13. 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. And later we're told that he deserted them. So something happened that upset this young man and caused him to leave the team and go back to Jerusalem and not to follow Paul and cousin Barnabas into the interior of Turkey. And as I said later in chapter 15, Paul accused Mark of deserting them and he refused to take them to take him on any more tours with him. I think Barnabas might have been very disappointed in his cousin, but he was more understanding. But Paul felt betrayed at the young man, and this broke up the first missionary team in history. The whole team was splintered by this. You know, I just find it astonishing that Paul, the greatest missionary ever, and Barnabas, his mentor, a man known for his encouragement, and the young man who went with them, uh, as their assistant, who must have been battling internal conflicts of some sort, John Mark, they all broke apart. The first great missionary team in history did not survive 
the internal conflict they encountered between the three of them. We know that Christian uh, groups often have trouble getting along. If you talk to any missionary, almost any missionary, they'll tell you that the biggest problem they have on the field is getting along with other missionaries. And this goes back to the very beginning. But the question that nags at us is why did John Paul uh, why did John Mark leave Paul and Barnabas and return to Jerusalem? The bottom line is that we don't know, so we can only speculate. But some of it is informed speculation. And I would like to pick up some hints in these passages and give you six possible reasons. And one of the reasons I'd like to do this is it helps us if we can get inside the stories of the New Testament and begin to feel them emotionally and to see what is in between the lines. And so I'm going to give you six plausible reasons why John Mark may have left. First, I'll give you my Uncle Walter Morgan's theory. Uncle Walter was a World War I veteran. He served in France during the First World War and he knew what it was to be away from home. Uh, for a number of years in his old age, he taught what was called the Old Women's Sunday School class at the church we went to. That's actually what they called it. He was a great hit with the, uh, great hit with the uh, older women. And he was teaching on this passage one day, and he talked to me about it uh, before, um, I guess, while he was studying it. And he told me that he thought that John Mark had a girlfriend back in Jerusalem and that he simply got homesick and went to be with his girlfriend. Well, you know, that is very human. That's a very plausible explanation. I've never seen it mentioned in the commentaries, but we can see that. But here's a second reason. John Mark might have been worried about his mother. I have seen this one in the commentaries. As I said, his mother lived in Jerusalem, which was not a safe place for Christians. It was hostile there. And there's nothing at all in the Bible about John Mark's father, and so he might have been dead. And so this older woman might have perhaps been uh, in some danger, or maybe she was frail, and perhaps Mark, he hadn't expected to go on to Turkey. He thought this was just a missionary tour of Cyprus, and so at this point, he become, became worried about her, and, and he just went to check on her. Uh, a son's loyalty to his mother can be very strong. The, the problem is that it hardly seems to me that Paul would have become so incensed and uh, would have accused John Mark of desertion simply because Mark felt family obligations. So to me, uh, this reason may not be as strong as the others, but here is a third one. Some scholars think that Mark was uncomfortable with the growing evangelization of the Gentiles the way Paul was going about it because he left them not long after this Gentile, Sergius Paulus, was converted. And Sergius Paulus, the governor of the island of Cyprus, was Paul's first known missionary convert. I think it's hard for us to realize what an emotional and raw subject this became, or this was at this point in church history. Remember, John Mark seems to have been a Palestinian Jew. He grew up in Jerusalem. He was a very Jewish Jew, despite his name of having both a Greek name and a Jewish name. Everybody did back then. And many of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem felt that one had to adopt Judaism to become a Christian. This was a volatile issue. It wasn't really settled 
until Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. So what if John Mark became upset when Sergius Paulus was converted, this Gentile governor? Paul didn't tell Sergius Paulus to keep the Jewish law. Paul didn't tell him to be circumcised or to adhere to the Jewish diet or to the holiday calendar. Paul totally bypassed all of that and just taught him to trust in Christ without any reference to keeping the Jewish law. Or perhaps Paul told him distinctly he didn't need to keep the Jewish law. Well, John Mark could have been very well upset at this perceived cavalier attitude about the law. I even read one theory that said John Mark might have returned straight to Jerusalem and told all of this to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is the head of the church in Jerusalem, and was, we get the feeling, much stricter about this than Paul was, at least at this point. And James might have sent the Judaizers to follow Paul into Galatia to undo Paul's work there, which prompted Paul to write the book of Galatians. I think that latter uh, theory is a little far-fetched, but it does show how emotionally unresolved this theological issue was in the early church. There's a fourth plausible reason. Others have this very interesting view that to me makes a lot of sense. I alluded to it a little bit earlier. The original mission, the plan formulated by the church in Antioch and for which the team was commissioned might have simply been to go to Cyprus and evangelize the island of Cyprus and then to arrive uh, to return to Antioch. But when they got to Paphos and met Sergius Paulus, uh, this governor encouraged them to go on to Turkey to his home area, which involved a great extension of the trip, a voyage across the sea and a long and arduous hike uh, of many days under the mountains of southern, southern Turkey into the region of Galatia. And this wasn't a part of the original uh, proposition. But Paul wanted to seize the opportunity. Barnabas, you know, went along. He relinquished his leadership role at this point and said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm, if you're determined, I'll go with you. But John Mark hadn't signed up for this long a trip, and he was having none of it, and he got upset and went back home. Now, here's a fifth possibility. This missionary party might have been battling a health crisis. We have a pretty good idea that Paul was sick. He was rather ill at this point. From Cyprus, Paul sailed up to Turkey, the three of them did, and when they landed in this area, it was a rather... Um, malaria-infected area, we're told, and they didn't go along the coast over to Ephesus the way you might have expected. Instead, they left the coastline and hiked upward, Paul and Barnabas did, uh, thousands of feet into the mountains to this remote region of Galatia, and this is where they evangelized. It really isn't exactly where we would have expected Paul to go. The only reasons we can determine for Paul going up to this area of Galatia was either upon the recommendation of Sergius Paulus, the governor of Cyprus, whose family home was up in this area and perhaps had a lot of contacts and maybe gave Paul and Barnabas letters of recommendation, or the fact that Paul was very sick from malaria and he had to get away from the mosquitoes and away from the coast, and so they went up into Galatia because Paul was just desperately sick. Now, where do we get this theory? 
Well, very shortly after Paul returned to Antioch, he wrote back to the Galatians. And he said in Galatians chapter 4, As you know, it was because of illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me. If you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. This is such a perplexing passage. William Ramsey, the great Bible scholar, speculated that Paul had intended to travel westward along the Turkish coast toward Ephesus and then go to go back to Antioch, which would have been a very natural route. But he became sick with malaria in the swampy region of Pamphylia, and he had to direct his travels up toward the higher terrain to get away from the affected areas, and that's why he ended up in Galatia. We also know that malaria can cause severe eye problems. The Journal of the American Medical Association wrote in an article some years ago, quote, the incidence of eye disease is significantly increased with patients having malaria, and the ocular disturbance can at times be the most serious complication of the general illness. This is an opinion, said the journal, borne out by more than 200 reports of ocular complications and malaria published in the past several years. Certain types of ocular lesions appear to be characteristically associated with the various phases of systematic malarial infection. Unquote. In some people, I've read that malaria causes jaundice in the eyes, calling, causing the, eyes of the, uh, the, the whites of the eyes to turn yellow. And while I was researching this, I found a rather disturbing related item. In some parts of the world, there are major problems with eye parasites, little bacteria or insects or some kind of parasites that can get inside your eyes under your eyelids. And one article said parasitic eye infections can have these symptoms, eye pain, redness and inflammation of the eye, excessive tear production, blurry vision, sensitivity to light, crusting around the eyelids and the eyelashes, redness and itching around the eyes, retinal scarring, and loss of vision. Well, this seems to be, I mean, when I read the book of Galatians, and I relate it here to the book of Acts chapter 13, it is plausible that Paul either developed malaria or some kind of parasitic eye disease. And it was maybe what he later called his thorn in the flesh. Now think of it. If it was malaria, then we have a little mosquito to thank for Paul's ministry in Galatia and for the subsequent incredible book of Galatians. You know, I often wonder why God made mosquitoes. I hate the little things. But what if a mosquito gave us Galatians? At any rate, it is within this context that John Mark returned to Jerusalem. Now, finally, there is one additional clue in the text. Let's go back and look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 25. It says, Then Barnabas sent to Tarsus. Barnabas at this time was the pastor of this growing church at Antioch. He needed an assistant as we saw last week. And so he went to Tarsus to look for Paul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas 
and Saul met with the church. And in chapter 11, verse 30, it says the church sent out Barnabas and Saul. And it says in chapter 13, verse 1, that there were in the church in Antioch certain teachers, Barnabas and Saul. And it says when they were on the island of Cyprus, that the governor, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul. But then in chapter 13, verse 13, it says from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And this, from this point on, we usually read about Paul and Barnabas and not Barnabas and Paul. So when the journey began, it was Barnabas and Paul, but midway through, it became Paul and Barnabas, and that is just at the point when Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. So it's very possible there was some fluctuating leadership tension on this team, and that John Mark grew angry and frustrated over Paul's dominant personality and the psychological shift in leadership that was taking place on this team, and that he just got frustrated and maybe angry, and he returned to Jerusalem. Well, which of those theories is correct? Here's what I think. It was some combination of the above. Several of these factors may have been frustrating to John Mark, because over the years I've noticed that when people get out of sorts with one another, Nothing that the other person does is right. We find multiple reasons to become upset with someone with whom we're having a disagreement or an estrangement. So I've given you six possible reasons, and several of them may have possibly overlapped in the heart of this young man. And I know something of what that feels like. At any rate, John Mark deserted them and returned to Jerusalem, and I imagine Paul was left with a sort of desolation over it. Paul, I think, was simply frustrated and angry. And it says later in chapter 15 and verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, as he was planning his second missionary tour, let's go back and visit the believers in all of the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, and let's see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of God. Well, thankfully, that's not the end of the story. As I said, John Mark went on to become one of the best-known Christians of the early church because the Lord appointed him to write the second gospel, the Gospel of Mark. According to very good, very old traditions, John Mark became a translator for the Apostle Peter and a, and, and a very close associate of Peter's, and he heard Peter tell about the life of Christ over and over again. And John Mark made notes about it and he later wrote down the story from Peter's mouth, and hence we have the second gospel. And as it relates to Paul, you'll be glad to know the two men were later reconciled, and they became partners again at last. When Paul was under house arrest at the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28 in Rome, 
he wrote the book of Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, he says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And in his very final letter, almost his last words, penned just before his execution, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Only Luke is with me, Timothy. Get John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So here are my summarizing lessons. First, we all make mistakes. Second, those mistakes can hurt our relationships with others. But third, if we keep pressing on in the Lord Jesus Christ, we mature and we overcome past mistakes and we become increasingly useful and we learn something about mercy and about forgiveness and about second chances. And finally, if we are patient and forgiving with one another, reconciliation and partnership has a way of re-emerging and re-energizing our relationships and things work out better in this world than we can imagine, and they work out wonderfully in eternity. Well, we've done some speculating here, but you know, it's useful to read between the lines and try to feel and to sense what is taking place as we read the Bible. And I hope that you've enjoyed this and that something about it has been of encouragement to you. Let's try. I have a hard time with it sometimes, but let's try to be patient with one another. Well, find out about all of the resources and Bible study that I have available on my website, robertjmorgan.com, and follow along in my one-minute Bible studies every morning on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow along with my occasional tweets on Twitter. Sometimes I get into a tweet storm almost as bad as Trump, but, you know, we sometimes have to ventilate, but these social media can sometimes also be a way of ministering to others. And I hope this podcast has been to you. Thank you for following along. Please share with other people. May God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may God be with you until we meet again.